Hello, and welcome back to Over My Dead Pod. I'm your host today, Holly Spear. And I'm Kylie Colwell. And today is my episode. I think I start off like that every time. And today is my episode. Like, yeah, of course it is. I think you do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I need a new intro. But anyways, the case that I have for you today is an unsolved mystery. I don't know if I've done an unsolved. Well, yeah, I guess I have. This one's a little different, though, so it's not really like I've done. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. I guess probably since the first time Kate wasn't here because I did did an unsolved in honor of Kate. So anyways, this one's a little different than an unsolved, though, and you'll see why. It's a little bit of a mystery. So this mystery is a case that I learned about a few years ago, and I have not been able to get it off my mind since, where an ordinary night... On March 31st, 2006, Brian Schaefer, a promising medical student, would walk into a bar with his friend and would vanish without a trace into the night. Do you know this one? I do. And I'm, it was on my list. I hate you. It's on your list? <laughs> I love it. This is such a good one. I, I've been thinking about this one for a long time. It has been on my list for a long time. I feel like we're going to run into that. We all keep lists of cases that we want to do. And we've definitely overlapped a few times and we hate each other for it every time we do it. But, you know, great minds. So let's get started. Brian Schaefer grew up in Pinkerton, Ohio, which is a suburb outside of Columbus, to parents Randy and Renee. Brian graduated from high school in Ohio in 1997 and then went on to Ohio State University for his undergrad. In undergrad, Brian got a degree in microbiology. And after graduation, Brian applied for medical school and got accepted into Ohio State University College of Medicine. Unfortunately, two years into medical school, Brian's life would take a major shift. In 2006, Brian's mother, Renee, died of a rare form of blood cancer. Friends said that Brian appeared to be handling his mother's death just about as well as anyone could do in that situation, but that they knew it was very hard on him. But Brian had someone to lean on, and that was because Brian had begun dating another medical student at the school named Alexis Wagoneer. Brian and Alexis were doing really well. They were thriving. Of course, they're both in medical school and had big dreams of becoming doctors. Alexis wanted to be an obstetrician. And Alexis was smitten with Brian. Alexis, along with her friends and family, believed that Brian would soon be proposing to her. She was anticipating this proposal would be really soon because the two had just made plans to go on a vacation together to Miami, just the two of them, for spring break. So Alexis is anticipating that Brian is going to propose while they're there together. Brian loves tropical places, so it's his kind of vacation. He told his friends that although he did want to be a doctor, his real ambition was to start a band and live like Jimmy Buffett. So Brian and Alexis are just about to finish their fall semester of medical school and about to leave for their long-awaited spring break trip. And on Friday, March 31st, Brian and Alexis finished their last class. The two would be leaving that next Monday morning to catch a flight to Miami. Brian's dad, Randy, came down to celebrate with Brian, and Randy took his son out to a nice meal at a steakhouse. As far as the dinner goes, Randy said that it was expected that Brian seemed exhausted from pulling all-nighters and cramming for semester exams. But 
he said that he was really excited for the trip that he had coming up with Alexis to Miami in just a few days. Brian also told his dad that he and his old roommate named Clint Florence were going to go out to a few bars to celebrate that night. Brian's dad, Randy, didn't think that Brian should go out. He just seemed like he was too tired and too worn out to be going out and partying, but he didn't say anything to Brian about it. After all, Brian had worked really hard and needed to blow off some steam. It would be a much-needed and hard-earned night out. Brian parted ways with his dad. At 9 p.m., Brian did meet up with his friend Clint at a bar close to the campus called the Ugly Tuna Saluna. Cute name. What a name, yeah. Ugly Tuna Saluna. I love it. It's a... I feel like if you're drunk, you can't say it. Yeah. Okay. I can barely say it now. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a really popular bar for the campus. And Brian and Clint go there and get a few drinks. And then a bit later, Brian calls Alexis to check in with her. Alexis was not in town that night because she had actually gone to her hometown, Toledo, Ohio, to visit her family before leaving for the trip. So Brian and Clint continue to sit at the bar. They bar hop into the night and they work their way down this kind of like bar street. So they're doing a little pub crawl. You know, they're going to each little bar. So they don't stay at the Ugly Tuna, but that's where they start. And Clint said that at each place they went to, they probably had about one shot or one drink at each bar. They would stay a little bit, they'd get the vibe, and then they'd move on to the next bar. You know, the drill. And at about midnight... The two were at a bar called the Short North, which is where they ran into their friend named Meredith Reed. Meredith offered to give the two guys a ride back to the original bar they started at, the Ugly Tuna Saluna, and the two guys were ready to start winding down their night. And Meredith was just like, okay, I'll join you for your last round and give you a ride there. So Meredith drives them back. So back at the Ugly Tuna. Um, we know this is a popular bar for people their age, and this was the place to be. It was a typical college bar, crowded, cheap drinks, loud music, dark, etc. So shortly after the three entered the bar, they get split up. And probably everybody knows how that goes. You turn around in a crowded, large bar, and suddenly you've lost your entire group. This is what happens to Meredith and Clint. They turn around and suddenly realize that they'd been separated from Brian. They figured, like usual, Brian probably went to go get another drink or step out and call Alexis. But Brian does not come back. They kind of wait around and they don't see Brian. They go back to drinking their drinks and kind of just waiting on him. Then 2 a.m. rolls around and the bar is actually closing. Um, I assume the bar has cleared out a little bit at this point because they're just sitting around waiting for him. Um, the lights come on, people start to leave, last call, and Clint and Meredith start searching everywhere for Brian. They start getting a little more tense. They call him over and over again with no answer. Clint checks the men's room. Brian's nowhere. They start walking outside of the bar. Brian's still nowhere. They finally just assume that he left. Brian actually lives within walking distance of the Ugly Tuna, so they're thinking maybe he just, like, Irish goodbyed and decided to go to bed. So they're not super concerned. I mean, I don't think that they liked the idea of leaving the bar without him, but they just assume that, you know, I mean, it ha has happened to everybody where you lose your friend and they just think, well, he's not answering. What else are we supposed to do? And they go back home. You're not going to assume the worst? No. I don't think I would either. I mean, I don't know. I, things are so much different now, too. And, you know, we're 
I think, well, as women, I think we... True. The bar is just a little different. Yes. Okay. That's so much different too. Now that I think about it that way, if it was, if I was with like a guy friend and he disappeared, I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, like, thanks a lot for leaving. And then I'd go about my business. I wouldn't think that a guy, you know, would get abducted or whatever. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So Meredith and Clint end up leaving and going to bed. Everything is closed. And at this point, they just agree that they'll call him in the morning and figure out what the hell happened last night. The next morning, the friends woke up and still could not get a hold of Brian. They just assumed, well, he's hung over and sleeping in. No one's really freaking out when Brian doesn't answer. Alexis calls, and she can't get a hold of Brian. She calls all day Saturday and all day Sunday. We know that they're leaving for their vacation on Monday morning. She went to his apartment and got no reply, although she did notice that his car was there. On Monday morning... Alexis goes to the airport, she's nervous and panicking, and their flight begins boarding. Their flight takes off, and I'm sure she has to be just in complete panic mode, like, did he change his mind? Is he flaking out on our trip? Does he not want to be engaged? Because I think it was pretty understood from what I've read that they were getting engaged on this trip. So I'm sure she's freaking out. I would be. I would be pissed. Yeah, I would actually be pissed. I think she's... It said, by all accounts, she was nervous and panicking, but I would be so freaking mad. I'd be deleting all of our photos on the tarmac. Yeah, me too. So, Alexis keeps replaying the conversation in her head that she had with him that Friday night. He was great, he was fine, he checked in with her, and he told her that he loved her. She could tell that he was excited for their trip. That was the last conversation that they had when he called her at the beginning of the night at the Ugly Tuna. So she starts thinking the opposite. She starts thinking this is not him just changing his mind about us or changing his mind about the vacation. She starts thinking something worse is starting to happen. So not only is Brian planning on proposing to Alexis on this trip, but this trip was actually a gift from Brian's late mother who passed away. She had bought the trip for Brian as a gift, and she actually had passed away three weeks before the couple was set to leave. So the trip is not just important to Brian because he's going with Alexis or because he's proposing on the trip or even because it's to celebrate them being done with this year of medical school. It's actually way more important because his mom had given him this trip. And so she starts realizing that there's no way that he would have flaked out on this trip. Alexis gets on the phone and calls Brian's dad, Randy, and tells him what's going on that she'd not been able to get a hold of Brian since Friday, and he had just missed their flight to Miami. Randy completely agrees with Alexis, something is not right. Brian would not miss this. This family had just lost their mother and wife a few weeks ago, and now Brian is missing. Randy, Brian's father, goes straight over to Brian's apartment, and Randy finds, just like Alexis did, nothing is out of the ordinary. Everything is exactly as it should be. His car is in the driveway, his school books are just as he left them, and his bed is made. Alexis actually stays at Brian's apartment for days, just waiting day after day for Brian to walk through the front door again. Randy calls the police and reports his son missing. Police's first thought was maybe Brian was mugged. It would have been easier to mug someone that was intoxicated. I'll also add that Brian is actually 6'2". I mean, you can still be mugged if you're 6'2", obviously, but I don't know if he would be my first target, but that's the police's first thought. 
Police also check hospitals and homeless shelters. Maybe he had been mugged and beat up, or he had fallen and hit his head and was confused and got lost. But no place the police checked had any record of Brian Schaefer or had seen anyone matching his description. Missing person flyers were handed out and pinned up all over Columbus. Police set up a hotline for people to call in and offer information regarding Brian. The media tells their story on all of their platforms. Police then visit the last place that Brian was seen, which we know is the Ugly Tuna Saluna, and ask to see their video surveillance. Now, the Ugly Tuna is not in the best location, so the bar had actually installed some really good security cameras because of the high crime rate, which this seems to be an ongoing wonderful trend for the stories I'm telling, really good security cameras, which is different. You, You found the only stories that have them. I know, it's like my thing, maybe. So the way that the Ugly Tuna is set up is it's actually a second story bar. So to get to the bar, you actually have to ride an escalator up past the first floor and then you kind of arrive at the top of the escalator at the entrance of the bar. So police watch the video and from the video you can see the escalator that you have to ride on to get into the bar. And they see people riding the elevator and entering the bar and right there they see Brian. Brian is with Clint and Meredith, just like they said he was. And they're riding the escalator to the bar's main entrance and it's about 1.15 a.m. And then again, they see Brian on camera outside of the bar at 1.55 a.m. He briefly talks to two young women and he seemingly tells them goodbye and then he moves off camera back into the bar. So he walks out of the bar, talks briefly to two young women and then Looks like he tells him bye, and he walks back in. And then, that is it. And that's what's so bizarre, because Brian is inside of the bar. The bar closes, but Brian never seems to leave, at least not through the front door. And this is the last time that Brian is ever seen again. Searchers start here. They start, obviously, at the Ugly Tuna and fan out from there. Officers with police dogs scour the bar strips, looking in dumpsters, passing out flyers, talking to residents. The flyers of Brian shows Brian's face and the tattoo he had on his upper right arm of a stick figure logo from the cover artwork for the single Alive by Pearl Jam, which was one of Brian's favorite bands. The flyer also noted that Brian had a distinctive fleck in one of his irises. Police even convinced the city of Columbus to let them search the sewer system. They start thinking maybe Brian fell into an uncovered manhole, but nothing was found. That's an odd theory. Yeah, so I explained it a little bit later. Um, There is actually a reason that police think that to search the sewer system. But I mean, yeah, it is kind of a weird theory. But if you remember, one of my first cases was a girl found in under the cover of a manhole. So it happens. But I don't know if they... Ohio's just got a bunch of uncovered manholes. I don't know. I think they're pretty notoriously, like, have bad infrastructure. So I guess it makes sense. Interesting. There might be a little bit. So I'll explain a little bit later. There might be a little bit more to that. But yeah, it is kind of an odd thing. But nothing was found. Through all of the searches, nothing. Not one shred of useful information. Not anything on Brian's clothing that he dropped, no IDs, phones, nothing. I mean, there was literally no trace of Brian anywhere. It was like he walked into the bar and disappeared. After searching every single possible inch police could think of, 
they began to consider other possibilities besides accidents or foul play. Investigators think maybe Brian wanted to disappear. Since Brian's mother had recently died, maybe Brian just wanted to run away and grieve the loss of his mother. I mean, I guess it's possible that he wanted to run away, but I don't see how you would leave your the rest of your family because you because your mom passed away like yeah he has a lot on his plate with like medical school and his mom passing away I mean may it's it's possible I mean I don't know obviously but it just seems like a weak theory considering how he was still looking towards the future and like leaving behind the rest of his family just doesn't really seem to make that much sense to me it seems like a very intricate way to disappear like right. to planned out oh out with my friends late at night and um, I don't know planned out that I'm not going to be shown on security yeah. footage leaving yeah like wouldn't you just leave if you wanted to leave just well, I don't understand why you would plan such an elaborate heist to go and make yourself missing and have everybody look for you and just like yeah even if you wanted to do that I don't know if you could plan it this well Right. You mean you have to, it would take a lot of planning and to point out, it would kind of be hard to do because Brian's pretty intoxicated at this point. It's not like he's drinking fake alcohol out with his friend Clint. Brian's pretty intoxicated at this point. So investigators say that it's possible that Brian left the bar in secret and for some reason decided to change his clothes in the bar, put on a hat, keep his head down and walk out. But this is what I read somewhere and I there's nothing in my mind that makes me think that this is possible and this is because like I said these security cameras are really really good and police were able to actually account for every single person that walked in the bar and they watched them walk out every single person except Brian so even if for some far out ridiculous reason he decides like put on this disguise that he would have had to bring with him and like a hat like in his stuff in his pocket or something there's no way that this actually happened because police can account for every single person walking in and out of the bar and everyone walks out but Brian. That theory to me is not does not work. And there's really no other evidence to suggest that Brian tried to disappear. His friends and family don't think so. I know a lot of times your friends and family don't know everything, but they don't think that this is within his motive. Brian never also tried to use any credit cards and he never tried to use his cell phone. He would have only had the things that he took with him that night, like things you would take to a bar, your phone, your money, wallet, whatever. I mean, but he never tried to use his cards, never tried to use his phone. Did yeah. they track down his phone? Like, did they see like where it last pinged or if it was like turned off at the bar or anything? So I think it was turned off because his friends were trying to call him and couldn't get him. I also read somewhere that Brian's phone was not connected to anything that could track him as far as like an app or whatever. So I think that leads me to believe that his phone was turned off because it's not, I'm not reading anywhere that his phone is pinging in any other location, if that gotcha. makes sense. Yeah. It makes me think it was turned off. I'm not 100% positive, but they were not able to track him using his phone. Other theories are just as flawed and they include that Brian was just missed by the cameras. So there's actually two cameras that the Ugly Tuna had. And one of them every now and then like 
pans around, like does a little like panoramic view of the entrance. And they think maybe at this exact moment that the camera panned, Brian walked out of the ugly tuna and the camera missed him. But only one of the cameras continuously panned and the other had to be turned manually. So the other one would have likely captured him at any moment if he would have walked out. If they had counted for everyone else at the bar that had left, the one guy you're looking for just happened to not be caught on that? Yeah, just happened to not be there. Also, there were other cameras in the area that had a view of the entrance of the ugly tuna. So their cap, their their cameras didn't capture me either. So it's a very odd coincidence if that was the case, which makes me think that it's not. And I will also add that on Wikipedia, I read that Columbus has the most security cameras out of any city in Ohio, more than Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Toledo combined. So there's a lot of security cameras. I guess that's good for them. Yeah. I don't know what the reasoning for that is. I've never been to Columbus, but I guess because it's a college town. I guess there's a lot of shenanigans. Lots of shenanigans, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. So that that's kind of another reason that people don't think that the camera just missed him coming out of the bar because there are so many other cameras that police are able to go down the street and... Brian was never captured by any of those cameras either. They, you know, see someone walk out of the ugly tuna and they can follow them down the street to the next bar and watch them walk in, but never Brian. None of the other cameras capture Brian. So it's just kind of, it's almost statistically impossible that no one captures Brian walking away. Another theory is that he left through another exit because I'm sure you're wondering if the ugly tuna has a back door and it does, but The only other exit was the back service store, and it was not used by the public. I mean, I guess it could be, but it wasn't usually. And at the time that Brian went missing, the door opened to a construction site that officers say was very, very heavy, like a heavy construction site. And it would have been very difficult for Brian to walk through sober, let alone navigate when he was intoxicated. And we know that Brian has had a lot to drink, as Clint has reported. Also, if he did just like fall somewhere back there, he would likely still be there and he's not. So they search all around this construction site. He's not there. I thought maybe this might be why they were like, okay, let's check the sewer system. Maybe there was a hole that he could have fallen in. I don't know. To me, that kind of tracked a little bit. But yeah, they searched this construction site. They say, no, there's no way he could have gotten through here and kind of rule that out as a possibility a little bit at least. So police bring in Brian's father and give him a polygraph, which he passes. Police bring in Meredith Reed, the friend that he and Clint met up with, and she passes. And police bring in Clint Florence. But Clint actually refused to take a polygraph test. Clint actually lawyers up after this, and his lawyer makes a statement kind of explaining that Clint wants to find his friend. He wants to do everything he can to find him. And he's been completely open and honest with police and helping to find him, told him everything he knows, but he does, he will not take a polygraph. And a lot of people find this really suspicious. Um, I guess, you know, we all know how everybody on this podcast feels about polygraphs and how courts feel about polygraphs. (laughs) And I mean, that's what I would be doing is getting a lawyer and not taking a polygraph, but People close to Brian see this as kind of 
see it as suspicious. So I don't know. What do you think? It's hard not to see as suspicious when someone doesn't take the polygraph. Yeah. Even like knowing that it's complete bullshit and I would never take one. Yeah. But uh. yeah, I still have that feeling. It's weird because I'm like, I wouldn't do it. But if you don't do it, it yeah. gets suspicious to me. I don't know. I do feel that way too because it's just like, if it was me and I was completely innocent, I would be like, no, let me do everything I can to make sure that you're focusing like where you need to focus your time, even though it's meaningless and trivial. I don't know. So anyways, people kind of feel the same way they we do and they think it's a little suspicious. I feel like even if I was completely innocent, like I didn't didn't even know who like the victim was, who the person was, wasn't even in that country or whatever, I would still be so nervous that it would ping something. And I'd get locked up. Yeah. No, I would be the one to like fail a polygraph by complete accident. I really would be, I think. So police did identify the two women that Brian did say bye to, but the women have come forward and have told the public that the police never asked them to take a polygraph. And I kind of agree. Like, why would they really? I mean, or why would the police ask them to? They see them like have a short interaction with him and like say hi, bye. And then like, they see them the two girls leave and i'm sure that they're able to like follow them down the road on their 10,000 cameras and see that they left and they don't have anything to do with it so i don't think that's weird um i just assume they didn't feel like they needed to police received some leads but none that have ever led to any breakthrough in the case there was a possible sighting in michigan texas and even in sweden And the tips were investigated, but they were found to not be Brian. Brian's favorite band, Pearl Jam, even took time between their songs to ask for tips related to Brian's disappearance, but nothing came from this either. And then one day, Brian's cell phone pings. Oh, yeah. Alexis, which is so sad, had called Brian's phone every single night before she went to bed. And every night, it would go straight to voicemail. But one night when she called, Brian's phone rang three times. And this has to be like super surprising to her because she's sitting there day after day with it going straight to voicemail. And then one day it rings three times. I think I would have a heart attack. Oh, same. I don't even know what I'd do. That's just devastating. And so sad to hear that she, oh, that makes me sad. So obviously she's super excited. And at that time, she takes it to police, tells them what's going on. And the police investigate the ping from Brian's phone and discover that it pinged at a cell tower in Hillard, which is about 14 miles or 23 kilometers northwest of Columbus, which is where he went missing. However, to the disappointment of everyone, police determine that the ping was only due to a computer glitch from Brian's cell phone provider. Well, it's got to be pretty devastating. And what's even just as sad as that was Randy, Brian's father, kept diligently searching for his son. And as many people do when dealing with a missing person, Randy consulted a psychic. And the psychic told Randy that Brian's body was somewhere in the water near Bridge Pier. Brian's younger brother, along with the father and other citizens who had become invested in the case, actually like got waiters and spent their free time along the shores of the Olentangy. You know if that's how to say it? I think it is. Olentangy River, which flows through Columbus and is adjacent to the OSU campus, searching for the body near bridges. 
and this was to no avail. Nothing was ever found in the water to suggest that Brian was there or had ever been there. Another theory out of these like seven is the smiley face killer theory. Kylie, do you know what that is? I'm sure you do. A little bit. I know there was a string of murders in the Ohio area. Yes. So it's called a theory because it's just that. It's just a theory. It's by a retired New York City detective and two New York City detectives and a criminal justice professor. And they kind of founded this theory. And it's that there are 45 young men that were found dead in or near bodies of water from the late 1990s to the 2010s in several Midwest states. These were all ruled to be accidental drownings. But these three experts believe that the drownings were not drownings at all. They believe that it is much more sinister than that. They believe that these 45 deaths are the work of a serial killer still lurking undetected. And in at least a dozen of these 45 cases that these detectives feel could be connected, there has been some kind of graffiti of a smiley face near the location where the body was found, hence the name. And all 45 of these men were college-aged and were last seen leaving parties or bars after drinking. They were often athletic, popular, and white. They believe that all of these are connected and they're a group or one, a couple killers that kill these young men and they're left near a body of water, in a body of water, and in the cases there's a smiley face graffiti. I read into this a bit and I was unfamiliar with it until this case, but what confuses me is there's not been smiley faces found in all of the cases, just some. So I guess, I guess they're saying like these 45 deaths could be connected. They're not saying that they think that they are, but it's like possible. Law enforcement and other experts have been skeptical about this theory. They don't believe that the cases are linked. And as I said, only about a dozen of these men were found with smiley face graffiti in the area where the body was found. And I don't think that every time it's like, oh, there's a body and then like right beside the head, there's a smiley face. Like, I think it's like in the general area of them, you could find a smiley face graffiti. If you look hard enough, especially in bigger cities, I feel like you could find a smiley face. Yeah. Every couple blocks. Yeah, so that's one of the things that they point out. They're like, there's no reason to think that, you know, this is a very common symbol to see spray painted. Like you could look around and probably find it. They believe that the deaths were truly accidental drownings of men who were inebriated. Of course, that's just a theory. And we've never found anything related to Brian or his person found anywhere that has anything to do with a smiley face graffiti. So just kind of a theory but online people love to speculate about that so I'll throw that in there then in September 2008 very unfortunately Randy Schaefer Brian's father was out in his yard of his Baltimore home clearing debris when a branch blew off of a nearby tree and struck Randy killing him neighbors yeah isn't that sad what a way to go damn Yeah. And I feel for the brother, the younger brother, because within the span of like three or four years, he lost his mom, his older brother, and now his father. This is just very sad all around and just a freak accident. 
Neighbors found Randy's body the next day when the storm had passed. After his obituary ran online, a condolence book was posted. And many people are going online and signing this book, posting messages about Randy. And then everyone notices that one of the signatures says, To Dad, Love Brian. Open parentheses, U.S. Virgin Islands, close parentheses. So people are like, uh, did he leave for a new life in the Virgin Islands? Because it's the U.S., I guess he probably wouldn't have to have his passport. Yeah, they start looking into this. And upon further investigation, the note was found to have been posted from a computer accessible to the public in Franklin County. So it was determined to be a hoax, which is disgusting. Fucked up. Yeah. I hate whoever that is, if you're listening. So that sucks. And then shortly after Randy Schaefer's death, Clint's attorney wrote to the private investigator who volunteered to help the Schaefer family. And Clint's attorney commented on Clint's refusal to take a lie detector test. The attorney for Clint had said that he had learned that Columbus police were investigating the case, believing that it was possible Brian was still alive. And the attorney said, if Brian is alive, which is what I'm led to believe after speaking with detectives involved, then it's Brian and not Clint who's causing his family pain and hardship. He wrote, Brian should come forward and end this. Clint said that he did not have anything to hide and he had merely told everything that he knew from the beginning and did not see the value of doing so again. So I have to assume that Clint, who, remember, refused to take a polygraph, has gotten a lot of flack for it. And his attorney took this time to comment on Clint's refusal not to submit to the polygraph because police are kind of grappling with this idea that Brian still could be alive in the midst of like the U.S. Virgin Island thing and the sightings and all of this. So Clint's attorney comes forward and makes this statement. And many have criticized Clint for not being forthcoming enough. They say that as soon as the detectives started getting involved, that Clint pretty much had no contact with anybody. Brian's brother is kind of outspoken about this. His name's Derek Schaefer, and he says that he thinks Clint definitely knows something and just won't come forward with it. Derek thinks that his brother is alive and Clint might know something. Police say that they have three theories about the case, but have declined to discuss them. So I don't know. I have to think that it includes at least a few of the theories that we talked about because I don't really see how you get another theory, but police say that they have three and they're not disclosing what those are. Then, Do you think their like leading theory is that he is still alive? I don't know. I just don't see how he could be. I don't understand how you would, in this day and time, get anywhere with no money True. and just disappear. So then does Derek, the brother, think, because he thinks his brother's still alive, right? That's what it sounds like, yeah. So he thinks Clint, the friend that was there, knew that Brian was disappearing? Yeah, either knew he was disappearing or like, I mean, I'm just theorizing, but I would, my first thought, if I was, if I knew Brian, I would think it was an accident gone wrong and somebody knows something and somehow he got hurt or I would just be thinking it was something that had gone wrong or something like sinister had happened. And maybe, maybe Clint knows something or I don't know. 
In 2019, an image of an American homeless man in Tijuana, Mexico, bearing a resemblance to Brian, began circulating online. And Columbus news stations forwarded the image to the detective in charge of Schaefer's case in 2020. The detective then sent the image to the FBI, and the FBI did a facial recognition analysis, and they ruled out that the image of this man was Brian. So another dead end, unfortunately. And in March 2021, the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigations released an age-progressed photo of what Brian would look like at the age 42, nearly 15 years after his disappearance. This is pretty much all we have, and police remain baffled by this case. The only surviving member of Brian's family is his younger brother, who is still searching for Brian. Brian was last seen wearing jeans, a blue or green striped shirt, and tennis shoes. He's six feet, two inches tall, and weighs around 170 pounds, or he did at the time, and he has brown hair and hazel eyes, and today Brian would be 44 years old. Central Ohio Crime Stoppers have offered a $100,000 reward to any tips that lead to finding Brian, and we will include the age photo of Brian that was released by the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigations to show what he may look like today. So if you or anybody you know knows anything about Brian Schaefer or you recognize anything about the age progress photo of him, you can call the Central Ohio Crime Stoppers tip line at 614-461-8477 or visit their website at centralohiocrimestoppers.org. It's all one word. So Kylie said she had some theories. Kylie, what are your theories? I'm just going to go ahead and rule out, I don't think this was a planned disappearance. I think it's too elaborate. Um, I don't think Clint would be involved if there is any foul play. I mean, there's a crowded bar. He was there with the other girl. What was her name? Megan? Meredith. Meredith. Yeah, Meredith would be involved too. And she took the polygraph past. Yeah. They're in the crowded bar. No one saw anything. The only thing I can think of is he either drunk stumbled out the back door or, I don't know, coherently stumbled out the back door. But, I mean, I don't know what happened after that. Yeah. Yeah, it is crazy. I mean, and then just, like, whether he disappeared inside the ugly tuna and something ha- bad happened in there or something bad happened outside, he had to have... All of these factors had to have been just like the butterfly effect of a terrible situation. Like he got so drunk, he accidentally left through the back door. He stumbled and fell in, you know, the only place without us, without a camera. And then what happened to his body? Like, it's just, it's so weird to think about Or he stumbled out the back door and got mugged walking home or got mugged inside and went out. I don't know. It's, uh. This is a weird, really weird one. And no one saw or heard anything, which is, like, the weirdest part. The weirdest part. Because, like, the downtown area, it's, like, pretty big. Like, it's a fairly large city with a bunch of people, college kids out. I feel like. I mean, how do you silently rob somebody? I just don't understand. I mean, I guess it happens, but in such a crowded space, how do you get away with that? Yeah. And rob and then kill somebody. 
maybe something accidental happened and they just haven't found his body. Yeah. That's what I'm leaning towards. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, to me, that's like the most logical explanation to me because all the other ones just have so many factors. Uh, I guess another theory is I still don't know how it would be possible for it to happen in the bar, but if he was murdered in the bar, taken out of the bar in something like Mm -hmm. a trash can or something and put in a car, like that would, you wouldn't see him on cameras, but I don't understand how that would happen in the crowded bar. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's another, that's a good theory too. I mean, I mean, I'm sure it's possible one way or another, but unlikely but yeah all of the theories are very unlikely so ah this one's crazy I just hope someday there's some sort of answer that we're like oh my gosh yeah that that makes sense you know yeah I think each of the theories you're like okay I can see it a little bit but not quite yeah with everyone I have no idea yeah I completely agree so that is the disappearance of Brian Schaefer and it remains an eerie mystery Brian seemed to disappear into the night without a trace, and this unknowing continues to haunt the friends and family of Brian. We continue to hope that the truth about Brian's disappearance will come to light and give closure to Brian's friends and family. And that is the mysterious disappearance of Brian Schaefer. Okay, so we will hop into our overtime stories, and I've been keeping a theme a little bit of my pop culture, so Kylie and I were talking about it a little bit before the episode has nothing to do with true crime, but I mean- A little. But like a little bit, actually, in more ways than one, because it's just honestly- so crazy but if anybody has listened to the beef going on between Nicki Minaj and Megan Thee Stallion um it's not like I'm like super invested in or anything but I do like get on Spotify on the way to work and I'll look at like the new release or whatever and I saw Megan Thee Stallion and Nicki Minaj and I like kind of like both of them you know so I was like whatever and listened to them and it was so weird because I didn't know that they were beefing and I listened to Nicki Minaj's song and then I listened to um, Megan the Stallion song and I was like oh my gosh wait hold on a second these are like about each other which I thought that they were cool because they do songs together and now it's sad because they're beefing and they're being Nicki's being so mean and so crazy but I feel like <laughs> we need to like debrief what's going on the backstory oh yeah well there's so many no Kylie there's so many backstories I don't know how we can debrief like okay okay very very quick what's it cliff notes okay years ago Megan the Stallion went to a party at Kylie Jenner's house at the time she was dating Tori Lanes, the singer slash rapper yes and they left I don't know what the hell happened Tori Lanes shot Megan the Stallion in the foot okay he's in prison Yes. Anyways, other side, Nicki Minaj is married to a registered sex offender. And yep. also her brother is now a registered sex offender also. Oh, I didn't know that about the brother. Wow. Man. Yes. So Megan released a song called Hiss, and she made a mention of Megan's Law, which I didn't even know. I knew about the law. I didn't know the name of it. 
Yeah. But it's when the registered sex offenders have to like, you know, like announce that they live next door and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah they have to register. Register. Yeah. And didn't mention Nikki at all. And like that was like the only thing. And Nikki just took offense to it mm-hmm. because her husband and brother are sex offenders. I don't know. I feel like there has to be back drama because she was like, you ain't mad at Megan. You mad at Megan's law. And I'm like, I don't know. I just think there has to be some kind of something had to have happened. And then I think think it was like a general statement because she was talking about like men talking about BBL scars and they have them themselves. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe it's uh, we'll never know unless unless we talk to them, which I don't think that we will. I just I feel like there's beef uncovered because Nikki's song is so like so. So then Nicki Minaj came out with a song replying to what I guess she thought was about her in Megan the Stallion song, and this diss track that she released is just it's bad. It's bizarre like it I, you can tell she made it mad and then just like released it but i just i don't know i'm not i'm not here for it i'm not here for it i don't love it but i'm adding to her listens because i've listened to it like six different times trying to pick out like all of the all the drama i don't get it i i'm gonna go on the record and say i'm a nikki hater I oh I didn't want to go on the record, Kylie, because there's so many people that love her. But she, if I had to pick, I'd pick Megan. Too, and I she's got B with Cardi B, and I love Cardi B. She's just got so much B with everybody. In the husband situation, I I like her music. I don't know if I like her as a person. Yeah, and then like in her song dissing Megan. She keeps talking about Megan's dead mother. And I'm just like, what is mother? I don't know why. But <laughs> I don't understand the diss on that. Like, I don't get I don't get Ha-ha, it. your mom's dead? I don't. Yeah. It's like, you call my family out. So I'm going to call your family out. Like, your mom's dead. Oh. Also, you got big feet. Like, you're six feet tall. That's the only thing she could talk about was big how butt. tall Megan is. It's so weird. And it's just, it's a little, it's a little bizarre. Yeah, like that's all you can, uh, whatever. I'm, I just listened to Nikki's song before we started because I didn't really want to listen to it. But apparently there is an acapella version and I'm honestly terrified to listen to it. Oh, yeah. I listened to both of them. Kylie listened to it in front of me um, before we started the episode. And I just, the facial expressions were great. I love to, I love to listen watch someone listen to it is anyways that's my pop culture thing so I know there's a lot of Nikki fans out there but I'm just confused I'm confused I want to know all of the drama and why this is happening I feel like celebrities need to be just completely honest like if you have beef just tell us and yeah and so many times I'm like is this real or is this you know I know people do things and like date people for publicity stuff and it's just like I think me and Kylie could probably get together and pretend fight for money. For sure. So is this real? Is this a real girl feud or is this fake? I just want to know, you know? I feel like if it was fake feud, Nikki would have had more time to come up with a better song. Good point. She released it very fast. I was reading about that. Have you seen all of her? She's commented on like people's TikToks about the situation and everyone's just going off on her. No way. Oh, yeah. I feel like she's got to tone it down or she's just going to lose people. 
I don't know. She was tweeting for like 72 hours straight about it. And Megan hasn't said a peep. Jeez. This is the only thing going on in our lives. Yeah, I know. I was racking my brain on the way home from work of what I could share for overtime. And I do like to follow the pop culture. I do. It's interest. The Kardashians interest me. These female rappers interest me. I got to get a life. I don't know, man. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do a shameless plug to our new YouTube channel. Kylie's been working extra hard to put all of our videos on YouTube. It's the audio. And we love looking at comments and seeing people comment on the case and what they think and just commentary and dragging us and, you know, whatever. Uh, so yeah, I will say the only person who's gotten hate comments is Holly. Yeah. What the hell? I really am. And I feel like I'm the least opinionated person on here. <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding. But I actually no, I'm not. I am the least opinionated and I feel opinionated about that. <laughs> but that's fine. As long as you're commenting, you know. Eh. Yep. Boosting our engagement. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Any any publicity is good publicity, as Nicki Minaj and Megan the Stallion would say. But anyways. So yeah, go check out our YouTube too if you want to listen on there, comment. We do like to read your comments, all jokes aside. All right. Well, and with that, <laughs> thank you for tuning in to another episode of Over My Dead Pod. If you want even more information, including photos of the case, you can check out our blog on OverMyDeadPod.com. Be sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening to this and check us out on social media at OverMyDeadPod. We will see you next week with another case. Bye. Bye.